Hey Medina East, Sarah Beth here. Welcome to our online weekend experience. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time ever checking out Grace Church, we are so glad that you are here. This week, Seth, Dan, and Tracy are going to be teaching about the ascension of Jesus to heaven and the difference it makes in each of our lives still today. There will also be a time of music and worship. Before we jump into our conversation, I want to point you to our website, medinaeast.gracechurches.org. While you are there, make sure to click on the Ministry Updates slash FAQs button. There you will find the Power Kids Weekend Experience, which families, we count it an honor and a privilege to be able to partner with you and share these resources. I hope you've been able to engage in them together. You'll also find the Student Ministry social media links, plus a few other helpful resources. Additionally, you'll find access to online giving. Giving is a way for those who follow Jesus to worship and express faith in God's provision and his faithfulness to us in every season. To coordinate serving our community, we've created a Love Medina page on our website. If you or someone you know needs help, go to medinaeast.gracechurches.org and on the home page, you'll find a link that takes you to the Love Medina application. Fill that out and we will do our best to contact you within 24 hours and see how we may be able to assist. You can also call us at 330-239-2600 and leave a message. If you would like to volunteer to help others, fill out the Love Medina volunteer application. You'll be contacted with details on how you can help someone with an immediate critical need. For more information, contact Steve Vanmeter, svanmeter at graceohio.org. Although we are not meeting together in person, that does not mean that church is canceled. Their church is not a building, but rather it's people like you. We want to come together to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our community and world. We want to share the hope we have because of Jesus. Enjoy the online weekend experience. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Grace Church Medina East Campus a weekend service online experience. I just got to say on behalf of all of us who are here, I mean, we are so glad that you're connecting with us in this way as we're really looking to just all of us uh, center our focus, center our attention, our lives on uh, Jesus during a time where I think we all get it, right? This could be really, uh, there could be the temptation in this time to kind of fall into things like loneliness, despair, fear, and anxiety. So the fact that you're here joining in, tuning in with us for this conversation, we're just really grateful that you're here and grateful um, to be able to communicate with you in this way. So if you don't know me, uh, just allow me a second to introduce myself. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here at the Medina East Campus. 
But I am not the only one who is coming to you in your living room today, right? I have two other fine folks here uh, with me, so give me a second to introduce them as well. Man, I gotta say, these are two of the people that like are on the high list of people that, that I love a lot. So not only do I have the, the pleasure of being on staff and working with you guys, call yourself, call you coworkers, but I also have the privilege and the blessing of like calling you guys friends. You guys are awesome. Love so, you, Seth. Yeah, well, thank Thanks, you. Seth. So we well, love now, you too. now to the introductions, right? <laughs> so uh, kind of far, my far left, your far right, we have Tracy Gruich. Wave hi to everyone. Tracy, you're in their living room. Hi, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted no. to wave like So Tracy is our NOAA coordinator here at the Medina East Campus. So that involves biblical training and biblical education, especially this thing we call the equipping division, which do yourself a favor after all this is done, go to our website, look up the equipping division. It's an amazing resource. You won't won't regret that. So thanks for being here, Tracy. Uh, And then I also have Dan Miller, who is our student ministries, I'm not quite sure what guy. to call you. Guy. We'll just call you Guy. Yeah, yep. thanks. I appreciate student that. Thanks for, the, thanks, yeah. thanks for the lift there. <laughs> our student ministries guy, Dan Miller. And I think if you've met Dan, you know that you will never be the same once you, you you're just not the same that's once right. you met Dan. So Dan, thanks for yeah, being here. Oh, appreciate my, it. my pleasure. Yeah. And this conversation, that's awesome. So uh, guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, kind of uh, bringing this into uh, our living rooms and uh, supporting that way. And guys, thank you so much who are watching uh, for checking out uh, us online this weekend. So uh, real quick, if you're somewhat new to Grace or this particular online weekend service experience, just give me a second to maybe catch us all up into where we've been the past several weeks and what we've been learning in what we can probably agree is just an unprecedented season for us, right? So uh, prior to this, maybe we would call quarantine season, uh, our campus was in a series called What's the Difference? And so basically in the series, What's the Difference? Uh, what we were doing is looking to articulate or like differentiate New Testament Christianity, which is something we call the gospel or the good news about who Jesus was. We were looking to differentiate that between uh, New Testament Christianity and uh, a host of other just different and various religious beliefs and religions that are floating out there. And so uh, a couple weeks back, we actually decided to shift our attention given some of the unique dynamics of the season that we're in. We decided to shift our attention from articulating those differences more to focus on the difference maker or the one who makes the difference. So basically, and obviously for Christians, that means that we are centering our focus on key moments uh, or monumental movements, maybe we could say, in the life of Jesus Christ, so the person of Jesus Christ. And so the last couple of weeks, we've shifted into this series that we're calling, you can see it here on the screen, we're calling the difference. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus. And we specifically saw in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, how the cross of Jesus Christ is cast as this strange upside down wisdom of God that somehow at the cross of Jesus Christ, that the death, that the death of Jesus, that God through Christ won the decisive victory over sin and the evil powers. Crazy, but that we, we found that that was true according to what Scripture teaches us in Colossians 2. And then last week, Pastor Tony walked us through the resurrection in a powerful passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that really explored uh, the significance of the resurrection for the new life that Jesus offers and the resounding statement, that declaration that's made of the, that new life that's available to us in Jesus. Now, as, as we think about the, the difference, right, so we've looked at the cross and the resurrection, uh, some of you might be thinking, okay, if we're focused on Jesus and those monumental movements, 
we're done, right? There's nothing more to be said. Or maybe you're a little bit more of a Bible person, you're a Bible geek, and you're like, okay, so this week we should talk about the next sort of pit stop or mile marker in Jesus' story, which you might think is like the second coming or something we call the return of Christ, this uh, teaching that we find throughout Scripture that Jesus will one day come back to finish the thing that he started when he came around 2,000 years ago and lived in and among humanity. And just real quick as a side note, I just actually want to encourage all of you to be on the lookout for something new that we've produced or that we're producing for you. And so actually, Pastor Tony and I are going to be uh, this week starting to release some midweek like short devotional-like videos that is going to focus our attention on the second coming of Christ and specifically um, how the promise of Jesus' return can infuse us with immeasurable, like tremendous hope during this difficult season that we're in right now. But again, kind of going back for many of us, when we think about the key moments, again, those mile markers in the life of Jesus that maybe not only have significance for his story, but would mean something for us in the way that we live life today, uh, many times we might trace the sequence of those things a little something like this. So when we're thinking about Jesus, the, the big pit stops in his journey. Uh, we might attach that to things that we know and celebrate even in our world today. So we're thinking about the story of Jesus. We're obviously like, yeah, what's important about Jesus? Well, his birth, right? Or what some scholars have called the incarnation. That literally means enfleshment, like Jesus taking on flesh, his birth. And we're like, yeah, that's important because we celebrate that altogether at Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown, right? <laughs> uh, but then we think about, okay, like the life and the ministry of Jesus also is, is huge. And we might be able to tie that to the idea of going to church, right? Because the reason many of us would go to church is to hear what Jesus had to say and what he taught. So you got like the birth of Jesus is big. The life and the ministry of Jesus is big. Obviously, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, the putting to death of sin, forgiveness of sins. We celebrate that on Good Friday. And we have what we talked about last week, the resurrection and the new life. We commemorate that. Or we celebrate that at Easter. And then obviously, like the, the ongoing hope that a Christ follower should maybe incrementally or increasingly experience is tied to the second coming and Jesus' return. And so um, while these are all very true, all key and important aspects of Jesus's life and why it's significant, um, I would actually say that if we only were limited to these five, we're actually missing something that the authors of Scripture found equally essential uh, in order to properly and com more completely communicate Jesus's story and its implications and its significance for our lives. And I would say that the missing piece is something that Bible guys, Bible folks call this, the ascension, the ascension of Jesus. Some of you are like, what? What the heck is that? Like, I've never heard that before. And that's maybe uh, kind of proving the point. Um, I, I don't recall that I've ever heard a weekend service sermon or message, I don't know about you guys, that's been exclusively on the ascension. And so it maybe has undergone a little bit of neglect in the teaching of the church to the point where like, what the heck is the ascension? And so let's just define it here real quick. The ascension actually refers to the event at the end of Jesus's life here on earth. So we're talking post-resurrection, the event of, at the end of Jesus's life here on earth where Jesus is taken up on a cloud from his disciples, a little wacky, right? 
He ascends, ascension language there, ascends into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now, again, as I was prepping, I don't know about you guys, but as I was prepping for this week and uh, the subject of the ascension, I would have considered prior to that research, that study, to have been 100% in the camp of people who were like, yeah, the Bible teaches that Jesus ascended, Hmm. but it's kind of like an ancillary thing, you know, it's, or it's secondary, or it's not like what we would call that pivotal mile marker moment of Jesus. But if what we're going to claim is true, if the ascension is actually essential (laughs) uh, to us understanding the significance of Jesus' story for us, maybe I'll just kick it to you guys a little bit. Uh, What has been your history, if you will, with the subject of the ascension? Has it been neglected or do you feel like that's been the case? And maybe more importantly, why might it be easy for us sometimes to neglect the ascension or to be a little perplexed or confused by its significance? Yeah, well, I think, you know, for me, I'm trying to think. I've been teaching the Bible pretty regularly for, I don't know, half a decade or something like that. And I would say I... can't think of a single time when I have focused a, te- a, a teaching specifically on the Ascension that, you know, though I do love Jesus and I care about the Bible and I care about, you know, the full counsel of Scripture, that for some reason the Ascension has never, like, really made the cut. You know, I, I would, like you said, I would refer to it or mention it, like, yeah, it makes it into the formula or to the equation, but it would probably look something like, you know, I would do my teaching and then say, you know, and here's, here's the truth, everybody. Like Jesus, Jesus is the eternal son of God. He came to earth. He lived a perfect <laughs> life, died a criminal's death on a cross, rose again, ascended and is now seated with the father. And he's going to, you know, send the Holy, he sent the Holy spirit. Would you say it with a furrowed brow and clenched yeah, teeth? Yeah, well, you, that's okay. how I say everything. I can't. I can't it's, hold it's back. It's a caricature. Yeah, you're you're yeah, mocking. Right. No, no. That's how I would actually. <laughs> and listen, here's that's the other good. Thing. I love it. <laughs> but, you know, like the Ascension never, never really made the, the, the top, it never made the, the, you know, greatest hits or something for, for me. And I think, you know, as you were talking about, it, I've been thinking about this. I, I think when you're talking about his birth and his, and his life and his death, his resurrection, any one of those is so compelling and powerful and, and beautiful and, and uh, important. I mean, you could really, it would be really pretty easy to focus on those. But kind of as you alluded to earlier, a lot of the, the holidays that are built in or, or, or kind of baked into the structure or the, the calendar of our, our years life, yeah. are mm-hmm. focused on those things. So not only is the resurrection important, but there's also a really special holiday that has to do with that, you mm-hmm. know, and I eat ham yeah. on that holiday and the egg search for eggs. Yeah. And so it's like, <laughs> those are things that it just makes it easier to yeah. focus on those yeah. things. So no, I think that's, that's really why. good. I think that that's true too. Um, it's, um, not something that I think that I, um, thought about in terms of the word ascension, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I, I, um, it definitely does play a role in the way that I, um, relate to Christ. It, um, something in my head knows that he's living and he's somewhere, um, on high. And I know we'll probably talk about that more even in this conversation, but, it's not a really popular word or some, right. something right. that I would just um, jump to. I jump to more the feeling or the effect of that sure. probably that I experience in my life than the actual focus on it. 
Yeah, I love what you guys are saying. I think it's really insightful uh, too, because I, I think that there has been a general, just a general neglect and the ascension. And actually I think what we're going to claim today in the rest of our conversation is going to be that this is essential. Like that the ascension matters not only to understanding Jesus's life, but to understanding how his life and his present state of existence, I guess you could say, just is so meaningful and it matters to a follower of Jesus and to our world today. And so the way we're gonna do that is we're gonna kind of take a look, we're gonna give you a little bit of a roadmap here for the rest of our conversation for the next couple minutes. And I think when we explore the ascension, we're gonna quickly discover that if you start diving into that subject in scripture, you quickly discover maybe three important things that the ascension does or three reasons why the ascension is so significant. And so I think what we're gonna see, here's our roadmap, is we're gonna see that the ascension of Jesus brings about three things. It brings about a new kingdom, it brings about a new character in followers of Jesus, and it brings about a new calling. So a new kingdom, a new character, and a new calling. So we're gonna launch in, we'll start talking here first about what does it mean to say that the ascension of, D of Jesus brings about a new kingdom and what does that look like? So uh, I think actually this idea of a new kingdom and the ascension, how that's tied together, that this concept actually comes to the forefront when we don't necessarily look at a particular passage of scripture, but if we look at the unique concerns of an author of a couple of books of the Bible, an author of, of a couple books of the Bible, and that would be this guy named Luke. So here, here's what we know about Luke is that Luke wrote at least two books in what we call our New Testament, which is kind of like the last quarter of our Bible. So Luke wrote two books. He wrote the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke or like the gospel according to Luke, which is basically from start to finish, that book is all about like what Jesus did. Um, so he looks at that. So there's a gospel of Luke, but Luke also wrote this book called the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. So you've got Luke, the gospel of Luke, which is all about Jesus. And you've got Acts, which is all about kind of like Jesus's followers, the church, right? And so Luke writes these two books. And I think it can be tricky for us a little bit because if you were going to look at the order of the books as they're listed in the New Testament of our Bibles, you get four gospel accounts first by four different guys. They're all about the life of Jesus, right? So you get Matthew, then you get the gospel of Mark, and then comes the gospel of Luke. So Luke is third in order. And then after that, you have the gospel of John. And then after the gospel of John comes Acts of the Apostles or the book of Acts. And so right there, because John has in the order of our New Testament, John has been inserted in between Luke and, and Acts, we might get the impression that these are two maybe separate or different books or they're talking about two uh, maybe unique or distinct uh, concepts or ideas. But what's actually interesting is if you start to read both Luke and Acts, you discover that these two books, Luke and Acts, and you can kind of see it in the Venn diagram, how we've tried to present it to you, that these two books are actually tightly bound together. They're tightly bound together such that we can say that when you start reading these, that uh, Luke and Acts are actually presented as two volumes in a single unified story that Luke is attempting to communicate. Like the, the entire literary arc of Luke's, of Luke's presentation of what he thinks is important is coherent when there's continuity between Luke and Acts. And you can actually see this if you begin in the second volume at the very beginning. This is what Luke says. He says, in the first book, 
the Gospel of Luke, right? In the first book, O Theophilus, Theophilus was the, the guy to whom Luke was writing this. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Ah, there's the ascension right there, isn't it? After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So obviously, Luke references the first book, which is the Gospel of Luke. But then he also says, I've dealt in that first book with all that Jesus did and taught. And so you're like, yeah, definitely, uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, all that Jesus began to do and taught. The Gospel of Luke is all about Jesus, right, and what he did. But it's interesting to me how one small little word, this word began, can like in, entirely change the course of our perspective on how these two accounts are linked together. Because the implication when, when Luke says it this way is all that Jesus began to do and teach. The idea is that you're supposed to look back at what Jesus did by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what's coming now in the rest of the book of Acts is now a certifiable continuation right. mm. of everything that Jesus was doing and all about in the Gospel of Luke. Luke yeah. So this is such that these are so like tightly bound together. You can almost look at it like this. All that Jesus began to do and teach, Luke and Acts, that Luke is all about Jesus, all about this spirit-empowered man who does dynamic things for people on God's behalf. And that this is truly linked to the church, that now followers of Jesus continue to do what Jesus did by the power of the same Holy Spirit. And so what I find is, what I find really cool about this is that actually the ascension for Luke is the indissoluble link between the two, between Jesus and the church. In other words, Luke is going to kind of, in a literary way, make the argument that you will never understand the church, followers of Jesus, unless you understand the ascension, because it is what connects Jesus and the church. You're like, well, how is that the case? How is it connected? Well, I, I think this is interesting to me because I actually never saw this before until digging in a little bit more in the past week. Um, when Luke launches act two of the story, which is the book of Acts, the event in the life of Jesus that gets repeated from the gospel of Luke is not the incarnation, <laughs> It's not the crucifixion. The event that gets repeated in Luke is not even the resurrection. The event that gets repeated in both of these writings is the ascension of Jesus, is the ascension. So um, what we're looking at here, and you can actually see this, is if you look at Luke 24, and if you look at Acts 1, you can actually see that this event, like Luke literally doubles down on the ascension. And he's showing us that the ascension is the hinge point of understanding the connection, the relationship between Jesus and his church. Luke 24, he says, he led them, Jesus led his disciples out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blesses his disciples. While he blessed them, he parted from them, ascension, and was carried up into heaven. And then Luke, like literally a chapter later in the second volume, he says, Jesus told his disciples, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking, he was lifted up, the ascension, right? And, and a cloud took him from their sight. Now, here's the deal. With the ascension, it's so important. One of the, one of the big, like significant pieces about this 
is that for Luke and the other authors of Scripture, the ascension is not just merely some spatial issue, like the spatial like taking up of Jesus on the cloud. It certainly is that. That's how Luke presents it in both of these accounts. But the, uh, throughout Scripture, the ideas and the terminology that are associated with the ascension are infused with like a lot more maybe conceptual or we might say like theological mm. significance. And so what, do I, what I mean by that is that the biblical authors knew that the ascension and all its terminology was like a word group that referred to kingly coronation ceremonies, right? So it's a king ascending to take his rightful seat on the throne. It's like, it's the coming to the throne and being installed as the rightful ruler over a realm and over a people in that realm. And then likewise, what kings would do when they were coronated, when they, when they sat down and they began to rule, they would rule their kingdom and then implore, I'm, I'm sorry, employ ambassadors, or they would call them witnesses, which is a term you get throughout Acts to describe followers of Jesus. They would employ witnesses or ambassadors as the vehicle through which they would rule and expand their reign and their good, their good rule. And so we just see here simply that the ascension is not just some wacky miracle. It's not just a suspension of the natural order. The ascension is a declaration, isn't it? And Luke shows us by doubling down because it declares that Jesus as the perfect human being is presently, like right now, guys, right? Right now, reigning in partnership with God over the entire created mm -hmm. order, mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus is on the throne and that the church then is the vehicle through which Jesus has chosen to take that rule and expand it and manifest it to other people. So I think that that's big. I mean, that's massive and it's huge. Um, some implications we can already get, but maybe I'll pass it to you guys here is for you when you hear about this or when you're reminded of it, um, why, why is that so important to the big story that scripture is writing? Why is that important? Why should we care personally too about the quote unquote installation of Jesus as ruling partner at the right hand of God over everything? Yeah. Well, I think even as you were talking, Seth, um, it was reminding me and almost kind of hearkening back to the very first chapters of the Bible, right? When we look at God's character, his creative power and his desire to create humanity uh, in a way that allows them to participate mm -hmm. with him yeah. in, in the ruling and the reigning of mm -hmm. his creation, right? Mm -hmm. he, yeah, he, good. he is presented as the king of all creation, but he... Uh, creates humanity such that they can reflect him, engage with him. We're made in his image. And so I think it gives incredible, uh, you know, on, I think it's sort of an honoring uh, and humbling uh, corresponding relationship between what's happening in Acts and, and the way in which he's being exalted and enthroned. And, and as you said, that, that, that kingship then is, is, is given kind of sort of semi handed off yeah. to, to ambassadors yeah. or to witnesses or to people that go out and to, and to participate in that, in the flourishing and the movement of that kingdom. So I think it, it resonates at the deepest possible level in, in that like, yes, humanity was created to have relationship with the King and to reflect him and to participate in the flourishing of his kingdom. So I think it's energizing and exciting and captivating That's so good. to think about yeah. that.
Yeah, I think so too, Dan. Um, my mind, Seth, goes often to um, the book of Hebrews, which is one of my favorite books in, in the Bible, but it just does such a clear picture in um, like chapter six and a few chapters after that of just painting this picture of what actually is true about Jesus as the ascended Christ, right? Where um, it just describes him as um, going through the curtain to stand before the very throne of God on our behalf. And so it's like if That's all the wild, things that yeah, <laughs> if all those things that Tony said are true last week yeah. about this risen yep. Savior and He's yep. really real, mm -hmm. then He's somewhere right now. Yeah. Do you know where He is? He's behind a curtain, standing in yeah. front of God, right? Yeah. And in Hebrews, it's it's beautiful. It says um, this is like an anchor for our soul, and so just kind of these visual pictures of like. Yeah, I'm here, but this very real anchor tied into my soul is going up somewhere behind that curtain with a real living king standing before God on my behalf. Who's the, I mean, there's lots of um, descriptions in Hebrews. Uh, the high priest that has, you know, suffered all the temptations that I'm suffering, and I just have somebody going before me. Um, this makes all the difference in the world for my everyday walk with him, um, really. That, that's, that's awesome. I think when you talked about Hebrews, um, I think the author of Hebrews says that Jesus, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Yes. That's like another way of referring to the ascension. Yes. And I, I love how the author of Hebrews talks about this high priestly work of Jesus, even now yep. that Jesus is constantly going to bat for his followers before the father. And that's part of this idea that in scripture, we don't have time to dig into too much, but the notion of like an intercessor, mm -hmm. he's constantly um, reminding us too by his spirit that we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Mm -hmm. And I love how that ties into this notion of um, kind of having the, the, the image of God that was, that is this reflection of the character of God that's supposed to exist in human beings that we were created for back in, back in Genesis. Like we can actually reflect the good rule, the kingly rule, and we can partner again with God to do amazing things in the world, which is what we all were made for. And I think, frankly, that we all long for. And so I think it's it's huge. Jesus is going to bat for us. He, um, he lives in and through us. He expands his kingdom. We'll talk about that here in a second. And then, uh, but he, he is reconstituting us into something that looks like him to reflect God and to rule not to rule with uh, coercive power like we talked a couple weeks ago, but to rule the way Jesus ruled when he was here in his ministry, which is love and sacrificial service and expanding that kingdom. So that's awesome. So yeah, the, uh, the ascension, first and foremost, it declares unequivocally and powerfully, I think beautifully, that Jesus is on the throne. He is presently ruling and reigning, which then leads us into the second aspect or significance or implication maybe, of the ascension, which is the idea of a new character. So Tracy, why don't you talk us through a little bit how the ascension brings about the promise or the hope of a new character? Yeah, sure. So, you know, you talked about this idea of um, the king, um, Jesus, being on his throne, and yet he has a relationship uh, with us. Somehow there's a correlation there, and he wants to transform us with this new character somehow, right? And so when we um, consider like how to connect some of those dots, I guess we could say, um, Dan, while you're like Cloroxing oh, yeah. my um, PowerPoint thing, maybe you could click it to the next slide. That'd be awesome. We're there passing okay. the PowerPoint clicker. Okay, Thanks. there you go. No germs, no germs. No germs. No germs. No germs. We're good and, no good and clean here. So 
Right. Anyhow, so we can consider that the ascension is is showing that Jesus went up to heaven to be um, to to assume his rightly position as the king, and here we are, and he's ushered in a new kingdom. But then, what does like how is he actually going to exercise his rule and authority as king on this earth? And so Acts 1.8 tells us that um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay, so <laughs> Jesus went to heaven and the Holy Spirit came to earth and to um, have the ability to live within us to develop this character change that um, he's interested in doing. So one of my favorite passages to look at when I think about this and um, uh, I would encourage you to look at it too. If you have your Bibles, open them up. If not, take some time and um, spend it in Romans chapter eight because Romans eight talks a lot about uh, the role that the Holy Spirit plays in a person's life to begin to develop this character change um, that he wants to um, do in each one of us. So let's start and look here at Romans eight, one and two. Paul is talking to the Romans here, and he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So there's this idea that um, he wants to set us free from sin and death. That's a character change there, because we all know that we're not free from sin, right? Um, and it's connected to this idea of the spirit of life, right? But he goes on to say further, he says, um, you, however, this is also in Romans 8, um, 9 through 11, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we see two things from this. Um, not everybody has the Holy Spirit in them. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so um, is the Holy Spirit for everyone? Absolutely. Is the Holy Spirit in everyone? Nope. And so this is where the idea of a personal relationship with Christ comes in, right? This is the idea of um, recognizing, I, I actually want to be free from the, the sin and these chains that kind of have me bound up here. And so I'm going to invite Christ into my life. And if that's not something you've done, it's as simple as having a conversation with him and saying, this makes sense. I don't know everything, but I know enough to know that um, I believe that you can bring about this character change and forgive me of my sin, and I'm inviting you to come into my life. And when you do that, the Bible is saying, Christ puts his spirit in us to dwell in us. Whoops, sorry, Dan. <laughs> Try not to clunk you there. No, no germs. I know, okay. <laughs> um, and then the spirit does this, here it says, gives life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you, right? Um, if we go a little bit further, he says, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So cool, Jesus is this new king, he gives us this power through his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. That sounds great, because Jesus is gonna transform me, but oh, I'm finding out by the spirit I have to put to death something. <laughs> Wait, there's something that I'm supposed to do? Right. <laughs> that doesn't sound so great. 
right? Right. Yeah. Like I do want, I do want to change, but um, there's this idea of putting to death. So, um, what what is he talking about? What is this hard work of putting to death that he's talking about? Well, we can see that in these three verses here in Romans eight five through seven, he's going to talk about some stuff that happens in our mind. So, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. You think he's trying to say something to us? Yeah. Like, so what do you think <laughs> by, he's by trying repetition. to Okay, guys. So what do you think he's trying to put to death here? You know? It's it's this idea that we have our own minds about stuff, right? And so this character change is not just going to automatically come because um, because I have invited Christ into my life and now I want to like have a relationship with him. It's going to take some work on our part if we want this character transformation to actually happen. And the hard part is going to be allowing him to change our mind, to set our mind on something different. Um, and so, you know, this kind of brought me to thinking like mindset is huge. If you want character to change, you will have to have your mind set on the spirit is what Romans is telling us. Um, you know, I was thinking about what this might look like and I'm not a runner at all, but I was thinking, what if I wanted to run a marathon, right? I could just be like, I could have my mind kind of in my head. Yeah, I actually want to run a marathon. That, that sounds cool. And so I could get everything that I think I would need to like help me figure out how to be a good runner, right? I have my cool, like whatever band on my arm to have my phone, to check my heart rate. I've cool pair of tennis shoes, nice weather, extra pair of tennis shoes, um, running shoes, I should call them. See, obviously I'm not a runner. Yeah. Um, anyhow, water bottle, all the cool stuff. I've got everything I need to do this thing, right? And maybe I do. Maybe I do have everything that I would need to figure out how to be a marathon runner. But if I don't have my mind set on that the fruitfulness, the goal that I actually really want to run this marathon and complete it, there is no way that I'm going to do all of the hard work that it takes to practice running in the heat and coming up against the proverbial wall or running in the rain, you know, or tons of hours early in the morning when everybody else is sleeping or up steep and windy, craggy hills. Right. I'm not going to do it if I don't have a mindset. And so this is where Paul is really urging us. If you want this character change, the first place it's going to start is having your mind made up that you want character change. And what that's going to look like is not always easy. It's, it's going to be putting some things to death. But the good news is we will be changed. Second Corinthians, Paul is also writing this, the same guy that wrote Romans. Um, he says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image uh, with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. And so we will be transformed as we um, have our mindset and saying we want to be transformed. The spirit does the work of transforming us um, in this process and changing our character, giving us this new character so that we actually look like um, and, and work as if we are people in this new kingdom that Christ has um, brought us into. So I don't know, as we kind of think about this, I'm wondering, Dan and Seth, like how you guys um, keep your mindset on the things of the spirit. Yeah, I think it's a challenge. And, you know, 
I mean, I think we all would probably attest to the fact that we are all works in progress and we're trying to like get it together. When you were talking, it was reminding me of Galatians 5, yeah. uh, yep. 16, 17. It says, I say, walk by the spirit yep. and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Yep. And like you said, man, I want to get to that goal. What is this finish line? What is the goal of Christ-likeness, walking with him, uh, following him in obedience and having my character transformed? And so I think one of the biggest things we can do as followers of Christ and one of the most uh, essential and kind of well-known but oft-neglected things is to establish a regular and consistent time hmm. with Jesus in the, in the Bible in the and, yeah. and in prayer. That is so true. It, it sounds so simple, yeah. doesn't it? But like... Simple is profound in this yeah. case. Like it's, yeah, it's awesome. It's exactly right. And I've been even thinking about like, you know, trying during this, you know, coronavirus time, I almost kind of started getting pretty snacky, you know, eating a bunch of snacks. And so started noticing that that was having an effect on me. And then I was like, oh man, I want to really try and get my, you know, get everything together physically. And, you know, <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people will say, well, the best way to get your, your health and your weight under control is diet and exercise, right? Mm-hmm. It's a pretty simple <laughs> formula. And it, most people know that, but the reality is that it is only when you actually engage with that, with, with that truth that, that you'll see, a tr- you know, transformation happen physically. I think it's the same thing spiritually where every day, if I'm not consciously and intentionally spending time with my heavenly father in the word and in prayer, sure. then that, then that is really going to limit or hinder my ability to be transformed. Sure. So I think having a quiet, just old school Bible time, quiet (laughs) time. Well, and think about it. In 1 John, it says God is love. So if I am spending time with him, it's, he is going to be reflected in me that this idea, yeah, it's going to come, it's going to, he's going to flesh it out of us. If we spend that time with him, know what he says is true in his word. Yeah. And what I love about what you guys are saying is that that takes discipline and that takes work. Now, That doesn't mean we do it under our own power. Right. Part of the significance of the up, the ascended Lord going up and that, <laughs> that uh, vertical coming down of the Holy Spirit is that we have been given every tool hmm. and resource and all the power and the energy is ours to, to become more disciplined in that regard. But I do love this idea. Like I said, like I reacted before, it seems so simple, like uh, pray and Bible study. We say it all the time, but it's right. like, that's, that's the meal ticket. Um, Jesus talks about how the most important thing you could do for yourself um, is in John 15 when he says, abide in me. Mm. How are we going to take on the mm. mindset that he wants us to take on unless we know the mind of the one that is, right. we're being invited to connect to? Right. It just reminds me of another spot, same guy writing the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 2, he just so encourages the church. Like he implores them, have this mind mm. yeah. among yourselves, which is the same mindset that Christ had when he did what he did by pouring himself out. He left the comforts and the prerogatives of heaven to come sacrifice and serve us. How are we going to take on that same mindset like Paul wants us to when he writes in Philippians 2? Unless we are regularly disciplining ourselves and carving out space to be with Jesus. I would also say, too, that the discipline is maybe not just carving out like devotional time, but it's also maybe even thinking, too, carving out time in my schedule or my calendar to consciously think through those around me who are hurting 
and who need to experience the hope of Jesus and the power of Jesus in their own lives. Because I think what happens there is, if indeed to have the same mind in ourselves that was the mindset of Christ, it means giving space for the Spirit to um, kind of prick our hearts for the needs of other people so that we can be like Jesus, that's 2 Corinthians 3, and serve others on His behalf, on behalf of our King, and invite them into the same in the same powerful connection and hope and life that the ascended Lord is extending to them through me as a follower of Jesus. So I think it's, it's, uh, it's getting more intentional with our calendars often with prayer, Bible study, but it's also getting more intentional in our calendars of like, I'm going to carve out some time to consciously think about who's hurting and who needs Christ. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. I love that. So we talk about new kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about the new character that the Holy Spirit is given to develop in followers of Jesus. We can actually become different people yep. because Jesus is Lord and he's reigning. And so now we're talking about the new calling. How does the ascension yeah. matter to this idea of the new calling that Jesus has invited his followers into? Yeah. Yeah, I love I love this conversation and I love what you guys are, are bringing to it. And I do think as, as I've been kind of studying and, and, and working on this, as we talked about it, you know, this past week, I found that uh, a really significant uh, portion of scripture that deals with both the ascension and what the ascension would lead us into or the result of, of the ascension is found uh, in John chapters 13 through 17. All right. So this is uh, for those of you that might not be super familiar with uh, with that section of scripture, very intense uh, portion. We have what's called the farewell discourse and what's called the high priestly prayer. And so Jesus is about to go. He's about to die uh, you know, a, a very horrible, painful death uh, for, for us. And, and he is with his, his disciples in the upper room and, and he's talking with them. And he shares some of the most intimate and, and beautiful mm. things uh, wow. about uh, himself, about them, about the relationship mm-hmm. between them. Mm-hmm. And so we see mixed in this whole conversation that he has is references to the ascension and references to the new calling. And it's, it's intermingled. And so I think kind of a, a really a key verse would be John fourteen twelve. It says, very truly, Jesus uh, speaking to his disciples, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Again, Jesus reflecting on his life, his ministry, the things that he's accomplished in, uh, in concert with his father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says the things that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. He looks at his followers and he says, you guys man, we're going we're gonna to do something together and, 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 and you, I'm going to hand off or I'm going to entrust this, this work and this calling to you and you're going to do even greater things than I'm going to do. And, and what is so fascinating is the, the reason why that is possible, Jesus goes on to say in the second part of this verse, he says, you're going to do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And again, because I'm ascending, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to entrust you with these greater works. And that is your new calling. Your new, your new calling is to uh, engage with and to embrace my power, my love, my heart, my desire for the world, and to, and to let that flourish out in an ever-expanding way. Right? The reality is that Jesus could only be in one place at one time while he was on earth. But when he ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell all those that follow him. And so we've become these kind of mobile units of God's power and his presence and his redemptive work. And we get to engage with that and to let that flesh itself out. 
And so also mixed into John uh, 13 through, through 17, we see this idea of abiding uh, and bearing fruit. Jesus uh, tells this kind of parable or he uses this teaching tool where he says, hey, you followers of me are like branches. I'm like a vine and you're like branches. And if you stay connected with me, if you stay uh, intentionally, consciously engaged with the reality of who I am and my power is going to flow into you. And that as a result of that, you're going to bear fruit. And that's what these greater things are going to be. And so, again, peppered throughout uh, 13 through 17, Jesus gives examples of this. He talks about different things that occur. Uh, But one, I think, you know, right out of the gate in John 13, we see Jesus says that uh, he, he wants his disciples to wash each other's feet in one of the most profound acts of uh, humility and of love that really reveals the heart of, of God. We see Jesus uh, get down and, and wash uh, each of his disciples' feet, literally wash their feet. And we see that this is both something literally that happens, but also that has um, a kind of symbolic significance and that everyone who has followed Christ has been washed by him and that there's nothing we can do to earn that grace or that favor that we have been plunged into a basin of grace just by his love and by the, the power of his desire for us to be redeemed by him. But really, when he says, I've washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He's calling us into a relationship with other followers of Christ in which we get down into the grime and the dirt. We get we get um, we expose ourselves to being vulnerable and, and a degree of intimacy. And so he says, yeah, you're going to do greater things. Abide, bear fruit. I want you to wash each other's feet. He talks in 1324 about loving one another, right? At the very heart of God is a desire for loving relationship to exist. And we see in the Bible that God has existed eternally in a relationship of love. There has never been a time in all of existence uh, that that God has not encountered uh, within himself perfect love. And so he wants his followers to engage with that, to love one another. And then we see as we move on, he, he talks about enduring persecution. And so he talks about what it will look like when people who represent this heart of God or this this light that shines in the darkness, that people are going to to, to shy away from that or to be offended by it. He's going to come to, to reveal the truth and to reveal the truth of people's hearts. And those that are opposed to that truth are going to be upset and discouraged and, and rejected him even violently, right? It's not going to all just be pleasant and peaches and cream, but there's actually going to be persecution. And so he says, you followers are going to endure persecution. He says, I want you to testify, (laughs) to go out, to publicly proclaim the reality of who I am. This is going to be a greater, a greater thing. If you abide in me, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to testify. And the world is going to hear about me and the, and the message of my kingdom, the message of the character transformation that is available is going to come to the world. I'm entrusting that to you as you testify. And then he says that you're, again, you're going to go into the world. I'm sending you out. You're not just going to stay insular and isolated and focused on each other just to hang hang out and wash each other's feet all day long only, but you actually go out into the world. And then ultimately, uh, you know, he says in 1721 that he wants us to be unified. Mm -hmm. Jesus says that with the same degree of intimacy and unity that has existed eternally between himself and the Father, he wants his followers to engage with that same kind of unity and that same power. And so again, we see abiding, bearing fruit. This is all the greater things that, that Jesus wants us to do. But what I do find fascinating as we look at these things is that there's almost like 
a, a kind of a unity between all of them, right? They all are, are uh, kind of interacting with one another and there's a sort of whole picture of what it looks like to abide uh, and, to, and to bear fruit. But the thing is, there's kind of like a dotted line that separates these on the top from the bottom. We see being unified, washing feet and loving one another all primarily would be expressed in the context of community. That this uh, kind of uh, intensity and this kind of intimacy exists in biblical community or what the way that we express that here uh, at Medina East is called life groups, which is why we say all the time, if you're not in a life group, you got to check it out because what God wants for you, what he is calling you into is a type of relationship in which his desire for you, his good purposes for you can be expressed by washing feet, uh, you know, figuratively and literally and, and loving one another and being unified, that these are things that Jesus wants for you. And that's a part of the new calling. So that is expressed in community. Get in a life group, check it, check it out. We have resources for you available on the website to, to look at different things that are happening. Even now we're getting together. The various groups are getting together, um, using zoom, zoom, zoom it up. So that's something you could do. All right. Zoom into a life group. And then something that we can't do a ton of right now, but we're working on it. No, I'm kidding. What we can, another thing we can do is to get out, right? Is to go out on mission. And even though, like I said, right now, this is something that we're, we're having, you know, we, we maybe think, oh, because of this coronavirus and everything, we're having a challenge with that. There are opportunities to get out on mission even now to think of ways that we can connect. And so things, again, like enduring persecution, testifying or going out into the world, these are things that Jesus wants and calls us into, right? And so it's not just insular and isolated, though there is an intimacy. It's not just external focused, but it's a combination of these things. And so we would say that the new calling is into community and out on mission in light of the ascension and and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God Almighty. He is calling us into a relationship with each other that expresses biblical community. That that doesn't make sense. That doesn't exist Mm. unless Jesus is ascended. That's exactly right. He's Lord of it all and and calling his people into that. I love that, man. I love it. And so I think the the almost kind of summary that you can see of this whole thing is found in uh, John 17, 21, where Jesus says, in what's called the high priestly prayer. He's, he's praying for not only his disciples, but in this passage right here, he's praying for those of us that follow Christ as a result of the work that is done through his disciples. He, he's praying for people in 2020, Medina, for me and for my friends and for you right now. And what he says is, this is, this is Jesus' heart and his desire, is that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us. For what purpose, Lord Jesus? For what purpose? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That is God's heart for the world. And that is expressed in community. And it is expressed in a community that is focused on going out, testifying, making witness, uh, serving, and and humbly pouring uh, ourselves out for for the, the heart of God. And so I would ask the question to you guys. What, um, in what ways have you seen this combination or this interaction of both this internal unity and commitment to one another and external focus uh, in which, you know, there's, there's a missional mindset to make the name and the reality of Jesus known to the world? Hmm. How have you seen that combo deal yeah. unfold? That's a great question. I would say for me, Dan, um, it was a huge part of how I actually came to know Christ. Really? Um, yep. Um, just in terms of, I, I mean, I had been a churchgoer my whole life, but the first time that I actually experienced biblical community like that, where people loved one another and were unified and were like 
in the grime of each other's life, but under the grace of Christ and uh, just able to have these really significant relationships with all the stuff that we would all want in a relationship. I just, um, I just remember thinking like they have something that I don't have and I want that. I, I'm, I'm missing this thing in my life. And so, so the actual thing that Jesus is saying here that, that, that the people who are Christ followers in these biblical communities would love one another well so that the world will know yes. brought me to Christ. <laughs> So it, it actually it, it works. works. Yeah. This, this is very, very works. true. A, a literal living said. example yeah. of his prayer being answered and his wisdom yeah. unfolding. Huge part of my story. Crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I think, Dan, you mentioned it um, a few minutes ago that our presentation here at Grace of Biblical Community is Life Groups. Yeah. And I love the way you visually presented that because the new calling is to both uh, other Christ followers and community, yeah. but also um, to those who don't know Jesus on yes. a mission to expand the reality of Jesus's kingship uh, rule over, over everything. But when, you, when we talk about life groups, I think sometimes when we send the message, it's just hit me kind of from a different angle. Sometimes when we send the message that it's so essential that you get involved in biblical community, we give like a host of reasons as to why you'll personally benefit from that. But like when I see um, what Jesus is doing in that farewell discourse and from John 13 through 17, mm -hmm. is he showing that it is absolutely vital for us to be involved in his community so that Jesus can work the calling through yep. us yes. to serve other people. Yep. My involvement in biblical community is not for me. Yeah. Right. Uh, if, if indeed Jesus is right. asc the ascended Lord of the world who's calling me to be like him, my yeah. calling to life group means that I'm there for other people, that others might be missing out if I abdicate or yes, if, that's I, right. if that's I, right. I opt out. That's right. right. And then likewise with mission, I know we have a ton of stuff with Love Medina that's out mm -hmm. there. Yep. That there's tangible needs in our community, especially during this uh, COVID-19 season, the quarantine stuff. Man, there's all that out there. Like this is a practical way that we can embrace the mission that we have been handed by the risen Lord of the world. And uh, for people to see Jesus through us in those ways, it's tangible. Also like in that farewell discourse, I was just reminded John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says that when we love each other in the church and the body of Christ and community, he says that kind of love, that sacrificial devotion will let everybody know that you're really my disciples, That's right. yes. that you're really my ambassadors, yep. that I'm really working through you to get the message out and the hope out to other people. Mm. So I'm thinking like community and mission is so pivotal and that's because Jesus ascended yes. and yes. he's ruling. So he's that's awesome. King. So as we finish up the conversation again, new kingdom, new character, new calling, the ascension is essential. Uh, just one last passage of scripture at the end of Luke's writing, at the end of the book of Acts, this is what Luke says about the Apostle Paul, who is a kind of a main character, especially in the last two thirds of the book. Uh, Luke tells us that Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God, King Jesus, right? And taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. There he is. He does this with all boldness and without hindrance. And I think even at the very end of Acts, as Luke is summarizing it all, he says the ascension matters. It's the hinge point of his two volume work. But he says that, right? Out of this, out of the ascension comes the new kingdom that Paul is to proclaim the kingdom of God. And there's a new character that's possible. Like we can do that with all boldness. Our lives can genuinely reflect the life of Jesus in increasing measure by the spirit. And also without hindrance that we can boldly go out and share that message with other people, 
in the household of faith or in the community, as well as those well in, in uh, the faith community, but also those out in our right. community That's and right. world. So uh, let me just pray for us. That's kind of the end of our conversation. Just want to encourage you to reflect continually on the reality of the ascension and just how meaningful it is. So let me pray and we'll be done. Father, we just want to thank you so much for the work that you did in Jesus. Jesus, we want to thank you for your obedience that you did come to live life as a man to reveal what the Father looks like in his character, that you did do amazing things in your ministry to show what a true image-bearing human being looks like who's properly related to God. You did die for our sins to defeat the enemy. You did rise again to offer the hope of new life. You will come again. But Jesus, we just want to say thank you for returning our attention to the ascension, the reality that you are installed. You've been coronated as the rightful Lord over the whole world. And you've commissioned a group of people to be on mission to finish what you started in increasing measure. So God, for uh, those who are listening or those who are watching, God, I pray that for those of us who need a fresh infusion of the hope that comes from recognizing the new kingdom that you've brought about, that you would give that to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. For those of us who are watching and engaging and our hearts are being touched right now by you, um, that we're reminded that you're developing, your desire is to develop a new mindset, new heartbeat within us. Jesus, would you just do the work that only you can do by your Holy Spirit for those listening to continually encourage people toward that transformation, followers of you toward that transformation. And God, for the people who are watching right now who are moved afresh by how the ascension connects us with a calling and a mission that the gates of Hades will not prevail against your people because you're king. I pray that you would give us... Um, a fresh understanding of what that looks like, new opportunities that our eyes would be open to see how we can communicate the great hope to which you've called us to the world around us, neighbors, friends, loved ones, coworkers, everybody in our natural path of life. Jesus, you're the king. You know what we need right now because you're the king. So just ask that you would do the work in our hearts and we would honor you and respond to you in appropriate ways by the leading of your spirit, even now. We pray this all in the name of the king, Jesus. Amen. Hi guys, Sarah Beth here again. I hope you enjoyed the online weekend experience. If you have any questions or have an urgent need, please reach out to us. You can do that by downloading your app or through our website. There you will find a connect card. Feel free to fill that out with any comments, questions, and prayer requests. We miss you and we look forward to being back together. Love you all and God bless.